uh, I reached out to this guy, Stephen Holly Martin. He's an author, and he's got a lot of really interesting books that he's written. He's written over, I don't know, maybe a dozen or two books. Um, they're, they're all on Amazon. You can uh, download them on your Kindles. So this dude's pretty cool. My mom would probably dig his some of his stuff. He's he's a he's a odd fella, but that's that's right up my alley. So um, he's he's my first remote guest, and it was so strange. Like I said earlier, like I, I was trying, messing around with my software and stuff, and and like there's different ways that you can remote people in, and so I created this weird uh, astral projection type thing that kind of looks a little bit too much like. Um, like something from mystery science theater, but it's fun, you know, whatever. I don't know if I'm going to do any more like that, uh, but you know, we'll see. Um, so this, this guy, um, his name's Stephen Holly Martin. His website is shmartin.com. If, if you want to go check that out right now uh, and check out all the stuff that he's written, uh, over the years, he has interviewed dozens of near-death survivors, psychics, researchers into the paranormal, as well as quantum physicists and medical doctors. That and, and he's figured out that humankind is on the cusp of a transition to a new understanding of the true nature of reality. To share what he has learned and to help speed the transition, which he believes will result in a rebirth of optimism and the world becoming a better place to live and work and just be. He has written well over a dozen books, and uh, in fact, I wrote this last week, and he's probably written like two more books since then. I mean, that's how much this dude writes. He's a writing machine, um, and, uh, and some of these have been bestsellers uh, on on Amazon, which is uh, not an easy task. I do know some other people who have published on Amazon. Um, I think that's fairly simple. Uh, nevertheless, he is the only three-time winner of the Writer's Digest Book Award, having won first place or first prize twice for fiction and once for nonfiction. Uh, he also won first prize visionary fiction from independent publisher and first prize for nonfiction from USA Book News. Stephen has appeared on countless programs over the years, sharing his stories and insight. Thanks so much, Jason, for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's awesome. You're my first remote guest, and um, I've looked at your website, and it's it's really thorough. You've got pretty much all the bases covered when it comes to uh, – I, I don't know if you really want to call it spirituality, but it's more or less um, the meta and uh, metaphysicists or metaphysics. And um, I was just scanning over all your books or your, uh, your um, uh, pieces that you've written. You've got quite the extensive catalog of uh, everything that I've always grown. I, I grew up with Art Bell. And oh, yeah. yeah, and I loved Art Bell, and um, there's a lot of things that you cover that he covered too. So, what caused you to question the materialistic view of reality you were brought up um, to hold versus the science, the more scientific? Well, you know, uh, that's a good question, Jason. I appreciate you asking that because 
there was a specific event that took place. I guess I was in my mid-20s, and uh, I had what is what's called an out-of-body experience. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I uh, could go into detail how it happened, but let me just say that when I was up kind of bumping against the ceiling, looking down at my body, <laughs> lying on the bed, it occurred to me that this that was impossible based on what I believed uh, was the case as far as the brain creating consciousness. Since I was up here, my body was down there, and my brain was down there. How could I be looking at myself uh, from up here? So anyway, that really started me thinking, you know, and I've kind of been on a quest ever since to... Uh, to figure that out, and and uh, the results, all those books you see on my website, and, and my uh, uh, the, the, the radio show I had, and so forth. So, about how long ago was that? Actually, was that when you were young, young, like real young, or or a young it adult? It was when I was. I would say I was probably about twenty-five years old. I was out in the working world. I lived in an apartment with two other guys. I was single. I was working at an ad agency. And uh, it was a Saturday night, and I had the flu, and then I did some other things I shouldn't have done, you know. And uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, I ended up bouncing on the ceiling, uh, looking down. And next thing I knew, I woke up the next morning and I felt fine. But right, that's interesting. So, so do you, so you you're saying that that was probably the birth of your interest in like you know you you just had to ask you had to find out what happened why did that happen well yeah you know i was brought up by parents who were scientific materialists they believed that nothing existed that you couldn't see under a microscope which is pretty much the uh, standard belief of most uh, scientists today, at least that's what they say they believe. I, I don't see how they can because there's so much evidence that uh, contradicts that. But uh, so, you know, if you're a scientific materialist, you can't believe that you could, your consciousness can be outside of your body looking at it or because it's got to be contained inside your skull, you know, with your brain, you know, little synapses jumping across uh, whatever, you know, to right. create consciousness, whatever they think does. But that's not what creates consciousness. Your brain doesn't create consciousness. Your brain's the receiver of consciousness that integrates it with your body. Right. You know, one would call this taboo knowledge, which brings me to your book of that title, Taboo Knowledge. What exactly do you consider taboo knowledge? Is it something that, like, uh, we shouldn't know, or is it something that we really need to um, come more, more or less come to grips to understand what the taboo knowledge would be? Well, taboo knowledge is the truth about who you are and what you are and the true nature of reality. That's what taboo knowledge is, because our scientists still hold on to this materialistic idea, this idea that nothing exists except material substance, which is totally false. It's, a, it's the premise of science, accepted science today. There are a lot of scientists who don't believe it anymore, but they will not admit it usually because they're afraid of being scorned by their peers. The truth is uh, that I believe, and, and I present a lot of evidence to support this, that consciousness is primary, that it is the ground of being 
of all that is, and that's where everything comes from, including you and me, and and the material world that we live in. Um, and there are quantum physicists who believe that as well. Um, you might say that the the Hindu rishis that lived 4,000 years ago were right when they said that Verda, they called it Verda, V-E-D-A, which, you know, when you boil it down, it's consciousness is the ground of being. Now, a quantum physicist who buys into this theory would say they wouldn't call it consciousness or Verda, they'd call it uh, the unified field. But to me, the unified field and Verda and consciousness are really all the same thing. Right. So, okay, so if you're saying that uh, we're not our bodies, we're not our, um, you know, your arms, your legs, or, or whatever, and you're definitely not things that aren't you out there in the real world, you, you are your consciousness, when does that happen? When does that, is that a learned thing? Is there, are there people out there that don't have this? Well, I'm, I'm not sure what you're asking there, but I would say that what we are, are we're spiritual beings who are having, this is a cliche nowadays, I think. Okay. So we're spiritual, but it's true. Many cliches are true. We're spiritual beings having a physical experience. And we are, we have a subconscious mind that somebody, some people might call the soul, that's been built up over many, many incarnations on this earth. And we... We reincarnate periodically. We come back for various reasons. But uh, at, at our very core, we are that consciousness, and we are all one. You know, you hear mystics say throughout the ages that all is one. Well, that's true. And we, we if you really stop and think about it, if you think about what's at the back of your mind, the consciousness, the, the silent observer that sees things happening and can observe your own thoughts, that is that ground of being. And we all share it. We think we're different because we have that subconscious mind. We have their conscious mind and memories that we've built up over this lifetime, which makes us think we're separate. But at the core, we're not separate. We're all one. We're all that one consciousness. We're, there's only one organism, one mind, and we're part of it. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. Um, so... Basically, individuality, um, the, in, in, in your theory, does, does individuality exist? Is there such, I mean, we still have free will, correct? We do have free will, yeah. That's one of the big important things about uh, coming into this reality is that we have free will. And uh, we learn from the actions that we take and the mistakes that we make that come back to haunt us or... You know, you, you, you might look at it as there's really nothing bad that ever happens. There are only opportunities to learn from from your own mistakes. Right. Because uh, we bring it all on ourselves, whatever happens. Okay, so just a few minutes ago when you were explaining um, this consciousness collectively, you said on this earth. So yeah. are, are we restricted to the spirituality in the path that is on this earth there's no other chances of life forms out there that we could evolve into or when we pass move on to a different world well i think that there probably have been many many other worlds and many certainly 
in the physical universe, you know, this can't possibly be the only planet that has life on it, intelligent life. And just look at all the UFOs that are spinning around uh, nowadays. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, and then there are other dimensions. I believe that uh, we are on a path. We're on the whole purpose of life, and I believe, is evolution. And that we're a stage in a stage of evolution that we're really transforming or evolving into a higher level of consciousness. And when, when we do, we may well live in some other reality than this one. Or perhaps this one will become uh, converted somehow. I mean, there's if you know about the law of one and all the, the raw material that oh, that's RA, raw material that was, was channeled back in the early 80s. Right. They believe that we're making a transition now from third, what they call third density, to fourth density, which is uh, third density being uh, uh, aware of self, and fourth density being aware that we're all part of one big self. Well, uh, I mean, since you brought that up, um, you know, I've been interested in all this and uh, recently. Um, had something happen and I believe that it could have been karma. Can you explain what exactly is karma and if it exists? Uh, I do believe it exists. Uh, it is typically a little bit misunderstood. I mean, the main people think most people who think of karma think it is cause and effect. You know, you, you do something bad Something bad comes back at you. But it's really more than that. It's more like a memory. I think it was Edgar Cayce who said that uh, that karma really is a teaching tool. And uh, let me give you an example of karma the way I'm talking about it. Uh, suppose, you, you probably know somebody, man or woman, who always attracts, seems to attract members of the opposite sex, who treat them poorly, who abuse them. Oh, yes, we, and, we know that very well. <laughs> and it's a kind of serial thing. Well, that's karma. But what causes it is that the person who attracts those people who abuse them uh, has a low opinion of themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the metaphysical laws is that like attracts like. So that person attracts people of the opposite sect who... who have the same low opinion that that person has of themselves. And that uh, the way to overcome that karma is to come to the realization that you are a spiritual being, have a physical experience, and you're really a, a magnificent spiritual being, and you don't have to put up with that kind of thing. You need to develop a higher opinion of yourself, and when you do, that karma will be dissolved. So... Okay, kind of along the same lines as that is, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I consider myself like a scientific pantheist um, in the terms of, you know, we really need to take care of the, this uh, world we live in and, or live on. And, um, you know, there are things that are definitely, you know, scientific in nature. I'm not denying any kind of spirituality or you know, the existence of souls or, um, or karma or all those other laws of uh, the unknown. 
Um, but I, I do kind of uh, think about like, um, how do you call it? Like uh, astrology. Like I d definitely think that there's something like when you're born at a certain time in a certain place that that kind of predetermines your energy moving forward throughout how you take care of yourself or care for yourself. Do you agree to a certain extent in, in astrology? Uh, it's not something that I've studied like I have the other things that we've been talking about, but uh, I do believe there's something to it, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly Edgar Casey, who was able to access the Akashic Records and so much of what he said proved to be true, and he believed that the uh, that astrology there was definitely something to it. Something it, to it. It does sort of set. It does sort of set your your personality or become part of your course in life. And uh, so, uh, yeah. But I, I again, I'm not an expert. I've I've had my charts done by an astrologist who mm -hmm. seemed to get a lot of things right. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of them are, are really good at it. Um, so when we talk about the information age that we're moving into, um, I guess we could say that if there's, you know, like, a definitely in my, uh, belief system that there's, life on other planets that could be further developed than we are. However, with that said, they also say that this is, since it's an information age, that it could be an age of Aquarius. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, uh, I, th I think that's really what uh, the raw material is talking about, moving from third density to fourth density the age of Aquarius, and if you, you know, the Zodiac, there's no doubt that some, that it began, I guess, in 1987, uh, we began moving into the age of Aquarius as far as the Zodiac is concerned. We were in the age of Pisces, which, uh, of course, the fish, that's Jesus, so, you know, the last 2,000 years were that, and we're moving into a new age of Aquarius where, on Earth, at least, we're we're going to become more aware of who we really are, as we've discussed. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think the two things uh, are absolutely parallel. And, and you know, what, it's just a different way of saying the same thing. Okay. Can you explain um, the third density and the fourth density and the differences? Yeah. There, according to Raw, there are seven densities. Okay. The first density is... Uh, Mineral, you know, like a, a planet with no life on it. Mm -hmm. Water, mineral, no life. The second density is planet with or with life, like plants and animals, but life that is not aware, uh, doesn't have self-consciousness. Third density is life that is aware of self, that can sort of step outside itself and consider its own life and its own thoughts and the impact of them and all that sort of thing. That's where we are now, third density. That's us. Fourth density is the realization that we were all one, that there's one big mind that we're all part of, and we seem to be different because we have our own 
memories and thoughts and ego that has developed, but we're really all one. When you know, as Jesus said, when you when you've done this to one of these, my brothers or sisters, you've done it to me. He realized that he was one with all. And that is fourth density. Fifth density is where we get really get a lot of information and intelligence and put it together with that. And so that that uh, science and, and awareness of the uh, one life really combines. Sixth entity is, uh, no, well, actually, that's sixth, that fifth density is where you concentrate on the science part. Mm-hmm. Sixth density is where the two come together. And seventh density is where we return to the source. And Ra would say, think it all starts over again. So those are the densities. Okay, um, so following that trajectory, are, are these things that like uh, is just part of th- like time or, or space as we know it, like right now, or are these things that we have to achieve as a species? Uh, I think it's what we're talking about here is the human race. Okay. Uh, and that on other planets, you know, Ra was uh, from Venus, uh, a civilization that developed there billions of years ago that has now progressed all the way to sixth density and no longer incarnates in the, in the physical universe. And, <clears throat> you know, people say Venus, well, that's not uh, habitable, but... The NSA has come out recently and said that two billion years ago, Venus was habitable, that it was would have been conducive to life, that it had uh, liquid water, and, you know, large amounts and so on. So it's quite possible that Ra <laughs> really did evolve on Venus. So uh, that civilization has in now in the sixth density really is not one individual but all the individuals of that civilization that evolved together into the sixth density. And that would be what the human race is going through now. It's probably going to take us a lot longer than, than, uh, than it took Ra on Venus because we tend to be a very warring kind of um, civilization, you know, where we're always fighting each other and stuff like that. But and apparently that wasn't the case with Ra. They they made it through pretty fast. But this uh, this fourth density, according to Ra, is going to take us thirty billion years. So we got a long way to go. Right. Yeah, I understand that. So, so in other words, we're kind of evolving uh, cyclically, cyclically uh, ourselves individually, and also as a race, as a human species. Correct. 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 Okay. You know they're. You probably are familiar with the Michael material where he's got a whole thing where you go through something like, I don't know, 35 different levels or whatever before you reach and start over again. So, yeah. Are you talking about lifetimes, 35 lifetimes? Well, I think it's it's like, uh, gosh, it's been a while since I've read the, the Michael material. But, it, yeah, I think it's more than 35 lifetimes. Okay. It's probably... Uh, something like 35 different stages, each one having a certain number of lifetimes. Okay. Um, also, if we're 
experiencing this as a human race collectively and then individually, what are we trying to work on? What are we trying to achieve individually? If, 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 because I know you, you also study uh, afterlife and we'll get into that here in a little bit, but like, um, what are we trying to achieve individually? If we're, well, we're trying to uh, perfect our souls, you know. Have you, have you probably seen the movie Groundhog Day? Yes. And Bill Murray's character, of course, starts out as a jerk. And, you know, everything he encounters that day, he kind of just, you know, mm-hmm. messes it up, makes it worse. And finally, toward the end of the movie, he's treating people with love and respect and so on, and things go well, and he does a lot of good. And then he gets to move on to uh, February 3rd. He gets the girl, too. Right. So, um, I mean, that's really what, what's, that's, a to me, an allegory or a metaphor for w- what we're doing when we incarnate. Each one of his February 2nds was an incarnation, you might say, and he meets the same problems or obstacles each time, and he learns to deal with them in a better way finally he you know finally he makes it and and so that's that's kind of what i how i see life you know one arc incarnation after another until we finally get it right okay so that kind of so in in the the definition of reincarnation is to is are you reliving the same life and you're just changing, adapting each time to perfect that soul? Or are you actually like, in, you know, some people say you're going to come back as like a cow or a, a dog or whatever. What? what well, I don't we... think you come back as a cow or a dog. You know that what's that tr- transmutation or something mm-hmm. like that? I, you know, I, I don't. I think you come back as a human, and you're not going to live exactly the same life. You can, but before you come. You choose your parents. You choose your place. You're going to come. You choose. You 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 make decisions because there are certain things that you want to experience and accomplish. You know, there are things you want to work on, and you want to set up a situation where that'll be possible. You'll also probably have some souls that you're close to that will incarnate at around the same time, and you guys will kind of work it out together. So yeah, I mean it's it's not the same life over and over. It's a different life, but so how would you ex- how would you explain the um, I mean if that's the situation how would you explain those unfortunate events that where people are mistreated or um, even worse like murdered or like by their family members if you're choosing your family your parents are those just people who don't know are they reincarnated like they they just didn't know what was going on. Well, I think that, you know, as you said, or as we've talked about earlier, you have free will and Mm -hmm. and you you can do things that are real bad mistakes and cause a lot of problems as a result and build karma that you're going to have to deal with. So, you know, things can go wrong and they do go wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, okay. So I, I, I don't want to go way too far out of our lane here, but you you have researched psychics and um, I've had experiences with psychics. How um, obviously we know there's psychics that aren't, that are just, you know, pulling the wool over our eyes, but um, how are they, are they actually, because if, if, if a soul is reincarnated, 
how are they pulling that energy out of something that technically shouldn't be there if that person who had passed is being reincarnated? I'm not sure what you're asking there. I mean, the you you, re, you incarnate, but your your higher self stays on the other side all the time. Oh, okay. Uh, and only, it's so your consciousness. Only part of you really, really reincarnates, and and the other entities that are that you've been. You know, I mean, it's 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 kind of a collective. It's hard to explain, but I think I I, I, think, I, the, I think I feel what you're saying. Yeah, and and of course another theory is that there's, you know, we've talked about the Akashic records, the fact that the, there's a memory of every thought, every deed, everything that's ever happened, is recorded in what might be, we today we would call the cloud, but yeah. in you know spiritual terms it's the Akashic records, the Akasha, and uh, so all that material is there for all time, mm -hmm. and that's what. Casey was Edgar Casey was able to access that and and you know bring in information that uh, may have happened a long time ago. He, uh, I've got a book about Edgar Casey if anybody's interested that uh, kind of gets into all that, but it's really fascinating. Um, is that Edgar Casey, the meaning of life and what to do about it? That's the name of it. Okay. Yeah, yeah I was I was looking at that one this morning. Uh, you've written a lot of really interesting books. Um, I see you wrote one on you wrote one on ex was it extrasensory um, ESP? Yes, ESP. ESP yeah. Extrasensory perception. What? Yeah. Well, let's let's okay. let's hear about that. I want to hear about that. Well. Uh, the book is really a, a personal story about going to spend a weekend at the uh, College of Metaphysics in Missouri, in Windyville, Missouri. Mm -hmm. And uh, the purpose of the weekend was to to find out what your dharma is. You know, each of us have a dharma, which is a purpose, something that we're particularly good at, that uh, if we can learn what that is and how to use it to serve others, will give us a, a really good life. Well, in the process of doing that, I learned that I have certain uh, psychic abilities, okay. um, which have to do with, uh, um, what is the word? Uh, it's where you, you, t you touch something, feel something, and you get a, a memory from it or a feeling of where, uh, of what it was used for. In this case, what I... Uh, was able to do was from a ring uh, talk about who wore it and what the purpose of it was and so forth. Mm -hmm. But anyway, at the College of Metaphysics, they explained how to develop your psychic abilities, which I explain in this book, which basically involves your, your several layers of, of uh, consciousness in, your, in you. And if you can get those all aligned, you can you can eventually tap into the uh, universal mind, which again is the akashic records or the akasha, and uh, and it, it explains how to do that. Now, I don't claim to be a great psychic. Mm -hmm. I do have some abilities, but I know people who are, and I've talked to people and I've, I've dealt with people who are really quite amazing. And 
with their abilities. Yeah. So do you think possibly that that your experience that happened when you were 25 uh, was had something to do with your abilities that you hadn't you didn't realize that you had before? Uh, yeah, probably so. I mean, I, I didn't think about it till much later, but uh, I think it definitely opened up my mind from being a scientific materialist and believing that nothing existed except uh, material substance to realizing that there are other dimensions and that, there, that uh, our consciousness is not confined to our skulls. And, uh, and I, I think one of the main ways to develop it is through meditation, if you can do that daily for you know, 15, 20 minutes, maybe once or twice a day. Mm-hmm. You can help develop your, your own psychic abilities too. Okay, so um, I was going to ask you this question about this other book that you wrote, uh, Life After Death. Okay, so if you have um, reincarnation and you're, you're basically uh, living over and over trying to perfect your soul, whether you realize it or not... Um, when does life after death begin? When does actually death begin? Well, it's when your brain stops is functioning, and 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 in fact, one of the way one of the reasons the University of Virginia, which has been studying this for sixty years, uh, one of the things they say is that and point to as evidence that the brain does not create consciousness is that many people who have been in a coma, perhaps had dementia or Alzheimer's, right before they die, they will become very lucid. And it's like their brain is disengaging, is separating from their consciousness. And they're able to talk and communicate with people around them, you know, and then very shortly after that, they die. Mm-hmm. And that's a phenomenon that's seen often in um, in nursing homes and other places where where people who are uh, in that situation are. And so I would say that death occurs when the when your consciousness separates from your brain and eventually and very soon after that from your body. Have uh, you, have you uh, just to stay on that topic where people, when they start to lose consciousness and, and they're actually dying that moment right before death, have you heard of how your body creates DMT? I'm not, I don't know. What, what is DMT? DMT is a chemical compound. Um, it's dimethyltryptyline, and um, your body creates it. And it's also found naturally in some plants. Uh, there's a plant in Peru. I can't really, it's like bee cappy or something like that. It's a vine or root. Uh-huh. Uh, they, uh, ancient, this is, goes back uh, a long time ago, like thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, you can dig up this plant and take the roots and clean them and boil them in water and eat these roots. They make them into a tea. But the thing about it is, you can't just eat the root because your stomach acids will uh, neutralize the the compound. You have to mix it with um, 
uh, a like a an uh, like a base or whatever to cut down the acids, so your your body uh-huh. will absorb the DMT. And what that molecule does, they call it the spirit molecule. In your brain, it's produced by the pituitary gland. The pituitary gland is the last gland in your brain to go. So the last thing in your mind that is happening is this drug that's produced by the pituitary gland is shooting through your veins, and it's making you uh, hallucinate. However, Hmm. there's been studies done. If There's this uh, drink called ayahuasca. You should check this out, ayahuasca. Um, because it's got the DMT in it. Um, people go down to Peru, and now it's, it's legal in some states here, and do these retreats where they're connecting with their inner self by drinking this tea with this DMT in it. And they're having, like, there's uh, circumstances where, or situations where these people will all be together or they'll be separately in different huts or whatever, and they're all seeing the same people. They're all having the same uh, experiences. And um, a lot of times you'll see your family, you know, you'll see um, demons, you'll see angels, depending on where you are spiritually. And um, a lot of shaman and and those say that this is what happens when you die when you die that last thing that goes is a pituitary gland and um you know that that secretion is to age you to make that um pass into the afterlife Hmm. but uh i'll I'll send you some information on it i'll email you and i'll give you that that term if you could check it out yeah i appreciate that it's uh it's interesting i have talked to a number of people who've had near-death experiences. One of the most fascinating ones that I, I write about in one of my books, don't remember which one, uh, is for Pam Reynolds. Actually, you could YouTube Pam Reynolds' um, um, near-death experience and probably find it. Okay. Uh, she's, there's a video about it where she had two uh, aneurysms in her brain that were inoperable. And so, in effect, they... She was had the blood drained from her body, and you know they packed ice around her so she wouldn't decay and all. And she was like dead. She was a cadaver. And they they opened up her skull and they went in and fixed the aneurysms. And while it, when that was happening, she left her body. She watched the operation going on in the operating room. She was able to describe things that were were happening there that. There's no way she could have known because she was totally out. I mean, she was dead. And uh, and then, of course, she goes through the tunnel and visits with her grandmother and some other relatives who've died and eventually comes back. But, uh, you know, that would be an example. I don't know about the two, the gland was engaged then. Maybe it was. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I've, I don't think I've, I've had uh, my share of... Uh you know, uh, fights and whatever. I've been knocked out. Um, but I, I've never had my heart stop. I've never went brain, uh-huh. you know, br- unconscious, you know, completely flatlined or whatever. Right. It's all interesting. That's one of the reasons why I reached out to you is because you spoke about, or you've written about, and you've heard many stories about near death experiences. And, um, yeah. Do you think that's part of, uh, basically, 
your purpose. You know, like you re- you said that earlier in the in the um, discussion that people, you know, you keep coming back or whatever. You're looking for your purpose, and uh, do you think sometimes somebody will come back because you know they're not done yet? Their purpose hasn't. Oh, been absolutely, resolved. absolutely, no question about it. In my mind, that you come back because you have uh, some sort of mission or something you want to accomplish, something you didn't maybe accomplish before in a previous life, and so you want to come back and do it. And as uh, you know, that weekend that I went to school of metaphysics, I've been out there a couple times, mm-hmm. but uh, that one was about finding your dharma. And according to the psychic who. Uh, you know, went into the kasha and found out what my dharma is. It is, uh, she called it uh, omniperception. I have an ability to see things from all angles and uh, to kind of process all that in a way that is allows me to kind of see things that others don't. Right. And that my my dharma is to use that to try to help others see what the true nature of reality is, what really is going on, why they're here and so on and so forth. So after I, that took place about, I think it was in 2003. So that really got me going on writing these books and so forth. And, uh, and, and I guess you could say they're the result of that. No, that's great. That's, um, I like to hear that. Uh, you know, everybody has I, I believe everybody has a purpose. Um, I think there's a lot of people who uh, kind of turn their back on that purpose. Uh, whether yeah, it's, and I think you can make a big mistake by using. You may have a talent or a dharma that yeah, uh, you can use it in different ways. You could use it to make a lot of money, perhaps, but that may not make you happy if you used it. To help others in some way, it would probably be a more fulfilling life for you, you know? Right, yeah. So, I mean, what do you, what do you, I mean, I know you're not a, um, well, I, I don't know this, but I'm assuming that you're not a psychic who charges people for readings. Uh, do, do you think that's, no. I mean, is that, a, is that something that like is unethical or is it something that's okay? If it's legit. Uh, being a psychic and charging others, I don't, I suppose it's, Okay, I, I, you know, Edgar Casey, who was probably the most famous psychic, at least in the 20th century, uh, called the Sleeping Prophet, um, never charged for his services. He did take donations, however. Yeah. And that is what sustained him. But he felt that he should not uh, charge for it. And uh, he would only, he would not answer questions like who's going to win the World Series or. Or the Kentucky Derby, you know. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, I think that might diminish your abilities if, if uh, even if you were right 100% of the time, you know, people, uh, I think the, the negative would outweigh the positive after a while. Um, yeah. But, you know, I was... Uh, looking at some of your other books that you've written, what, what can you, what is your definition or can you explain magic? What, what, what do you um, define magic as? Yeah. Um, Magic. The fact of the matter is that 
our thoughts are things. That's another thing Edgar Cayce said. Uh, thoughts are things, and they can cause miracles or tragedies. And magic is based on belief, you know? Yeah. If you believe something thoroughly, it it's likely to happen. And and so there, you know, in that you might be looking at that book that says actual magic or real magic or whatever. What was the name of that book? Uh, it's real magic. Yeah. <laughs> it's um <laughs> actual magic expanded actual magic. The secret of and manifesting your desires. There you go. The secret. Yeah. Okay, tell me how to manifest my desires. I mean, is that something that uh anybody can do well, or yeah, I think you, anybody can do it. But I think, first of all, like Edgar Casey, you have to be doing it for something other than money. Or, you know, you're right. not going to visualize a Mercedes and have it appear in your driveway. I mean, it has to be <laughs> really going along with your dharma, you know, going with the flow, with with the energy. And, and it has to do with belief. And in that book, I give a seven-step process for cementing your belief in something and then refreshing it as you go along. And one of the things that uh, can happen is that you you anticipate something too much and that keeps it from happening. I mean, that's all kind of explained in the book, but yeah. it's magic is based on belief as, uh, let's see, was it Jesus who said, uh, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So mm -hmm. you have to believe that you already have it and then it'll come. There was a guy back at the turn of the 20th century uh, whose name was uh, Thomas Troward, I believe, and he had this whole formula about how thoughts are things and how you can control them. And I, and I did get into his, he seemed to really know what he was going on. He spent a lot of time in India, and I guess he learned something from the Swamis there and so forth. But he, he really, it's, it's an interesting to see what uh, what he had to say about it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question, and if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. Uh, but it has to do with Dharma um, and people's, uh, you know, purpose. Do you think possibly? Like, you know, um, I don't know if you remember that show, uh, uh, Quantum Leap, where Sam Beckett, I think that was his name, would go back in time or he would just flip flip all over the place. Uh, and he would, it was quantum, quantum physics. And he would enter into a body of somebody and then he would have to figure out like what he was there for to get this person through to continue on or whatever. So... You know, and then you ask people um, if you had the chance, if you went back, and you could like kill Hitler, would you do that? Knowing you know what he did, would you kill him? Could his dharma had been what he did? Uh, you know, it could. It could. It. Um... He was a horrible, you know, all that, you know, murdering the Jews and so mm -hmm. forth. Uh, it's hard to get your mind around. But 
you know, there's also the idea that there really are no accidents. Uh, right. That that there's a purpose behind everything, but we just don't see it often. And uh, who knows? You know, I have a good friend who remembers several of his past lives, and one of them was as a child in the uh, Jewish ghetto in, in Warsaw during World War II, and in this life he was rounded up and put on a train and, and uh, went to Auschwitz with uh, with everybody else who was on the train, who then was marched off of the train and told they were going into the showers, and they went into the uh, to the gas chamber, and they were gassed. And he recalls leaving his body and helping to guide the other souls that were leaving their body to the light. And so that was his purpose in that lifetime. So it was a very brief life. He was only 11 or 12 years old. Yeah. So who knows? Uh, he has other lifetimes that he remembers that were, you know, longer. And, and one of them, he committed suicide. And, and uh, he later on had an experience in this life where he was thinking about committing suicide and, and, and essentially was contacted by his guides, told him not to do it because then he'd have to go back and, re, you know, deal with that same problem again in the next one. So, so it's interesting, but do you, know, do you, uh, do I can't you, really say, you know, Hitler, maybe he did have a purpose. I don't know. Or maybe he was just a, a Lucifer incarnate. I don't know. Well, I mean, there's... Um... It's, it's fascinating to think about because we are where we are because of every single event that's ever happened. You know, yep. if, if they, you know, that whole butterfly effect, if one thing, if, uh, you know, uh, one thing dropped on the floor and, and I stopped and picked it up, that could have altered the entire existence of humankind. Um, yeah, there's that poem about the want of a nail. The horse was lost, and you know you go through all these things, and then the battle was lost, and then the war was lost, and so on. So, right. Yeah, because of a nail uh, on the shoe of a horse. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, we were we talked about. Um, I'm, I'm talking with uh, Stephen Holly Martin, award-winning author, and I don't know how much time you got left. Um, I mean, I could talk about this stuff for hours, but I know you probably uh, have other things to do. Um, I'm going to have somebody, I'm going to be talking to somebody in a couple of weeks who um, has been uh, abducted by aliens. Mm -hmm. Is that something that um, you consider like a, po a possibility? I mean, we, we know that there's I, probably I aliens out there, but. Yeah, I think it's a possibility. I, you know, what I think about aliens is, the uh, UFOs and all that. Mm -hmm. I think they're kind of observing us and they're not going to interfere with us until we're ready to meet with them. They're not going to land on the, on the lawn of the white house as they take me to see Joe Biden. Uh, they're, they're gotta be more advanced than we are. If they've got the kind of aircraft or whatever that can get them here <laughs> or, or the ability to do that. Yeah. So, they're, they're further along the path, and uh, eventually I think we will have interaction with them, but I think we got to move farther into the fourth density before that happens. 
Right. That's it's so fascinating because, um, you know, I don't uh, like when it comes to, you know, uh, crypto, uh, whatever, paranormal, like I'm, I'm a skeptic of everything. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just naturally mm -hmm. like that. Uh, however, you know, I don't say it's not possible, uh, whether it's Sasquatch or the Cupacabra or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's stories out there for some reason. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, when it comes down to like the grays, uh, yeah. are they out there flying around? Uh, I mean, wh who's to say they're not? I mean, my first job out of college, I was uh, working in an ad agency. My boss was a retired uh, Air Force colonel who was a pilot. And he told me that once he was flying his uh, big cargo plane over the Atlantic, and he had a crew of, I think, five guys on that plane. And their uh, UFO came up and rode right alongside them for a half an hour. Mm -hmm. And then it just shot off to the right in a way that was you know, physically impossible as far as the kind of equipment we've got. And he put in a, a he filled out a report, did the whole nine yards, and all his crew vouched for it. And that was the last he heard of it. Yeah, but I have heard that the uh, the government is going to come out with some statements on uh, on UFOs pretty soon, sometime between now and June one. I think I saw. I was just looking whole... for it because I thought I saw something in the news just the other day about it about somebody, a former like uh, Secretary of Defense or something. Uh, I think it was the uh, what was the guy who was head of the intelligence agency uh whole intelligence thing under uh trump he he said that yeah ufos exist i mean just recently on tv that ufos exist and uh, that they're coming out with this report and once that report is out and unclassified he can tell us more about it okay so that's probably what you're talking about be between now and june one yeah hmm yeah, it's fascinating. I can't wait to hear what that's all about. Right, me too. <laughs> so um, <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we uh, part ways here? Well, I'd just like to tell our listeners, you know, go to my website. It's mm -hmm. just a simple website. It's shmartin, S is in Stephen, H is in Holly, and martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, dot com, and up at the top there, you'll see a little button on the menu that says books. You can click on that, see what I've written, and you'll see all the covers, and you can click on any one of them, and it'll tell you more about it. And, you know, maybe you'll find one you'd like to read. Awesome. I actually have the uh, the website scrolling on the bottom of the screen that the viewers can see, and uh, but uh, this will be in podcast form, so thank, thank you for spelling that out, uh, www.shmartin.com. It's a really well put together uh, website. It, there's uh, some media on there and and all that. Well, I really appreciate you coming on board today. Um, I will send you the email about that uh, information I was telling you about. And uh, what, what what do you got going on next for your and your uh, schedule, your agenda? Any more books coming well, out? Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm trying to promote the books I've got. I've got uh, a new uh, novel out called The Luciferian Candidate, mm -hmm. and 
it's it's pure fiction, but it does. I mean, I don't believe there's a real Lucifer. Okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think there are bad guys on the other side, and you know that could be. Uh, well, that that's what this uh, novel's about. So it's kind of fun. And I've got some other ideas, but I'm trying to think of what I want to write next. I don't know. I'm probably a novelist. Okay. Well, I'm going to uh, keep reading your material because what I've read so far, the taboo knowledge and uh, um, what is the other one that you sent me? It was uh... Uh, Life After Death, Powerful Evidence You Will Never Die. And I think what was I sent you a third one, didn't I? Well, you did send me The Force. Uh, the Force Can Be With oh, You. Yeah. yeah, yeah, The Force Can Be With You. When did you write that one? Uh, a couple years ago, I guess. It's, uh, you know, the Force being the Star Wars thing, and I, I think the Force does exist, and you need to go with the flow. Right. That's one of the things we touched on that a little bit already, I think. All right, well, my guest was uh, Stephen Holly Martin, um, an award-winning author. I appreciate you for coming on today. Well, thank you, Jason. I enjoyed it. I really did. All right, you have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Focal Point Podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.